children are being dismissed, and in June, we're having a slight change with the children's ministry, as we talked about at our meeting last week, and um, I'll put that back in an email, but um, that change that we talked about isn't today, it is um, starting in June. I'll invite you to go back to Third John, please. Kind of talking about the series, Small But Mighty. Uh, Last week I used the illustration of the computer chip of how it's a very small thing, but very powerful. And I I believe these books are kind of that way. Uh, Small, short, but there's, there's some really good lessons for us. So before I dive in, though, let's do this. Take a minute and just pray. Um... Just pray silently this time. Sometimes we have you pray together, but this time just pray silently. Try to settle your spirit before the Lord. Ask God to give you ears to hear, and then ask God to help me communicate in a way that would be clear and accurate, okay? Because I want to be clear, and I want to be accurate to the Scriptures. Take a minute, pray by yourself, and then I'll pray, and we'll dive in. Just take a quiet minute. Father, in the stillness of this moment, we are recognizing our dependence upon you. This is why we're doing this. We recognize that any spiritual growth that we may have uh, has to come from you. We recognize that you um, uh, need to keep distractions away from us. We recognize that our own propensity would be to Uh, go against spiritual things, our own nature is that, mine included. And I pray that the Spirit of God would remove that and give us motivation and attention now uh, to your word. And I pray that as I have the privilege and honor to teach from this text, I I do pray that I would do it in a way that is uh, clear and helpful, but above all, accurate to your word. We do not want to deviate from your word at all. And so this is why we're pausing now to uh, proclaim our dependence upon you and ask for you to guide us. So thank you that we have this privilege now, and we look forward to seeing what you're going to do as a result of this text of Scripture and the songs that we've just sung and the fellowship that we're going to share, continue to share throughout this day. In Christ's name we do pray, amen. So uh, there was, uh, I grew up in the uh, church that we had, Awana, much like this church had. And every year, they called it back then, they don't call it now, but they, they call it the Olympics every year. And we would go to this, uh, and it was, our church was a decent-sized church, and there were several other decent to large-sized churches in the area. And so we had major competitions at these, uh, these Olympics, if you will. They had different games and things that they play. Some of you are familiar with it. Some of you may not be so much. 
But for those of you who are familiar, you understand that, at least I don't know now, but then one of the events was a three-legged race, okay? All right? So there's a picture of a three-legged race, um, and I want to tell you a little story about that is that uh, I was always in the three-legged race. And the reason why is because I had a cousin, he is six weeks older than I am, but for almost all of my life, he was six to eight inches shorter than me, okay? And so this height disparity there was a little bit like, that may be a little exaggerated, but uh, it was a lot like my cousin Jamie and myself in the three-legged race. Now you would think, now why would that be a good strategy? You got different leg sizes and things like that. Why is that a good strategy to have two different types of people like that? Well, because here was the reason. I literally would put my arm around him and pick him up off the ground and run around the circle, okay? And he would just move his leg acting like he was running, okay? And we won every time. It was great. I'd pick him up. I'd run. He would move his leg. We'd dive for the pin. we win, okay? It was the best partner to have for the three-legged race, and to this day, we still joke about it a little bit. I could not pick him up and run with him today uh, if you paid me. But the point is, is that it was the perfect partnership for that event. Now, we're coming to our text of scripture here. Last week, we talked about how that we needed godly friends. And I told you last week is, this is how I would summarize our study of the, of the book of Third John. It would be this, that in our quest for the kingdom, we need godly friends, gospel partnerships, and should expect opposition along the way. That is how I would summarize this book of Third John. We talked about godly friends in the first four verses. Now we're talking about from verses five through eight today, we're going to be looking at this idea of gospel partnership. And so if I were to give you a thesis for today's sermon, it would be this, very succinctly, we need to be involved in gospel partnerships. We need to be involved in gospel partnerships. I could replace the word need with must. Because I do believe this is the way God has intended for us to interact as a faith community. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through why it is that gospel partnerships are so important from this text of Scripture. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of just, again, remind you what's going on here. John is writing this letter. He's writing to a good friend. We know he's a very good friend because of the words that he uses for him. He calls him the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. All throughout this letter, we see language of someone who he had deep appreciation for and deep uh, love for. And so obviously there was some partnership there. So this is what he's doing. He's writing to this man to encourage him because there had been some traveling missionaries that had gone through, some traveling ministers that had gone through the area, and they were um, uh, staying in people's homes, and Gaius was, was hosting them in their house and, and encouraging the, the, the hospitality. But the problem was there was a leader in the church by the name of Diotrephes that we see in verse 9, and he didn't like that. And we can, we can talk about different reasons why that is. I'll get into that next week. But the, for all, all the reasons that uh, are possible, he did not like this, and uh, he was opposing this. 
And so it put Gaius in a really difficult position. And so what John's doing, he's saying, no, you're doing a good thing by partnering in this. You're doing a good thing in this. And when I come to you, I'm going to talk to uh, Diotrephes, but you have Demetrius that you should be following. Don't follow Diotrephes to follow Demetrius' example. And so when I get there, we'll talk more about this, and he signs off. That's kind of the summary of the letter, okay? So in this middle section, though, verses 5 through 8, this idea of we need to be involved in gospel partnerships. This is what uh, John is writing to Gaius. Now, why is that so? Why is it so important that we are involved in gospel partnerships? I'm going to share four ideas from these four verses uh, this morning. First is this. Gospel partnerships affirm or affirms. I couldn't figure out the grammatically correct way of saying that. So whichever one you think it is, you use. But gospel partnerships affirms faithfulness to the gospel. Okay? Gospel partnerships affirm or affirms faithfulness to the gospel. Now, what do I mean by that? Look at verse 5. It says, beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts, okay? So he's saying you're being faithful by hosting these people. You're being faithful by partnering with these people. That was the question that comes to our mind. Naturally, it's faithful to what? What is he being faithful to? Well, I believe he's referring to the idea of the truth, faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the reason why I say this, because dependence and inter dependence is at the heart of the gospel. Needing each other is at the heart of the gospel, or I should say needing someone else is the accurate way to say it, is at the heart of the gospel. No one can save himself or herself. Nobody. The book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 5, it says, it's not by works of righteousness as you have done, but according to his mercy, he saved you, right? So the heart of the gospel is, that, is, the, is the reality is that you and I cannot save ourselves. There, there's no amount of good works we can do. There's no amount of righteousness. There's no amount of church attendance. There's no amount of kindness. There's no amount of morality that we can have in our lives that would overcome the sinfulness that is in our hearts. And so we need an external savior. We need someone to come and save us. We need to be partnered with someone else in order for us to get to heaven. So when you and I get to heaven, when we stand before God, and the Bible says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this to judgment. So every one of us will stand before God, will stand before God in one day, and when he says, okay, why should I let you into heaven, if we say, because I've done X, Y, and Z, wrong answer. But if we say, because I have a partner, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he has taken his righteousness, and he's put it on my account, because I've believed in him, and I've said, I need you, I, can, I have to hitch my wagon to you, because I cannot get there in any other way, then God will say, welcome. Because that's the way salvation works. So at the heart of the gospel is that we need to be connected to someone else. We need someone else. Dependence is at the heart of the gospel. Now, the reason why I have to keep saying that is because in our hearts, we have this bent and we have this desire to be independent. And we so want to do things our way, and we so want to be masters of our own destiny and control of our own lives. But we have to depend on God and depend on Jesus Christ and do it his way and Gospel partnerships affirm this faithfulness to the gospel because dependence is the heart of the gospel. 
Everyone needs to be told about the gospel. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, it talks about this idea. It says, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it says, but how are they going to hear unless there's a preacher? And how is there a preacher unless someone is sent? No, not a single one of us entered this world with the understanding of the gospel. Somebody had to tell you. And in most of our cases, it was many people, right? Think a minute. Have you, have, you done that? have you done that exercise and just thought through who it was that God used to bring the gospel to you? I know some of you have. I know Wayne has mentioned about a Sunday school teacher. Um, he's used that illustration. And I know some of you have shared that before. But the reality is every one of us was told about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that we can have forgiveness of sins. And maybe it was our parents, maybe it was grandparents, maybe it was a church situation, maybe it was just a friend, maybe it was a, 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 a happenstance conversation, maybe it was something you read that someone gave to you or that you found. Whatever the case is, somebody else had to tell you and someone had to tell me. And so this dependence upon other people. That's at the heart of the gospel because God could have made it so that when we were born, we just instinctively knew the whole gospel message. Now, he did make our hearts inclined towards him and towards uh, uh, a deity, but the whole idea of how to have forgiveness of sins, he set it up in a way that required and necessitated for conversation and for other people to work in other people's lives. And so when Gaius here was hosting people in his house, the people, these missionaries that were going through, and he was saying, yes, let me help you, let me feed you, let me give you a place to sleep, let me, let me give you some money for the journey, John was overjoyed and saying, this is exactly what has to be done because, because this is faithfulness to the gospel message itself that you're depending on and you're, you're partnering with other people. I'll say this also, it's, it's uh, faithfulness to the gospel because loving strangers is at the heart of the gospel. L loving the people who we don't know or, or people who are different than us is at the heart of the gospel. And that's what was going on here. These people didn't know them. He says, beloved, in verse 5, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. He says, you didn't even know them, but you were doing kindness to them, and you were helping them, and you were partnering along with them for the gospel message, for the truth, he says here. So loving strangers is at the heart of the gospel as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near. We all started this life far off. Far off. And, but God in his mercy has brought us near to him because of the gospel. First Peter chapter 2, and verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is, you, you, weren't even, you didn't have a good identity, but now you are God's family. He loved you as strangers. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are, been brought near. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God showed his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were strangers away from the family of God, while we are far off, Christ died for us. So loving strangers is at the heart of the gospel. So when John is telling Gaius here, he's saying, look, what you're doing is faithful. It's faithful to the message that you're preaching and the message that you claim and the message that you say rules your life. And so by you partnering with these other people for the sake of the truth, for the sake of the gospel, that is the essence of the gospel. In Sunday school today, Rob talked about Romans chapter 12 a little bit. In verse 13, and it stuck, it, struck to me, it, it stuck out to me as he was teaching. I had not considered this text for the message today, and I should have. I, when I was looking at the text, I thought, why in the world did I not think of this text? Because it's the mark of a true Christian here. Verse 9 of chapter 12 of Romans says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Then verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You know what the word hospitality literally means? It literally means love of strangers or love for strangers, stranger love. So if you look at the, how the word is formed in the original language here, that's what it means. It talks about how that hospitality means showing love towards people that we may not even know or we may feel we don't have that much in common with, but the only thing we do have in common with is that we're servants of Jesus Christ and we're going to partner together for the gospel. Uh, every two years, I typically go to a conference in Louisville, this last, uh, in earlier April, first part of April, I was at a conference there. Is 12,000 people. Now, this thing has grown uh, from just a couple thousand people and about 10, 12 years to now there's 12,000 people. And um, there's four individuals that started this. They're friends. Um, one is a, a Calvinistic Baptist. One is a Presbyterian. One is a Southern Baptist. Um, and one is a reformed charismatic, which is a really weird combo, okay? All right, but it works, okay, for them. And so those four guys, they started a conference called Together for the Gospel. And when they were, I remember the first year they started this and kind of hearing a little bit about it and everything, I was wondering what the point was and, and you know, all this. Here's the thing I appreciate about that is that they say we need to be partners on the most important thing, and that is the gospel. Now, I grew up in a context, in a very conservative uh, church environment, where the idea of partnership was very close to the idea of compromise, okay? And the idea of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, doesn't matter. But just the idea of, you know, we shouldn't do that unless we agree on every point. So obviously I'm coming from that background and I'm interpreting this new conference that's coming out to the scene. These guys have differences. And so I'm trying to process this and so I'm listening to their interviews and watching the things that they write and, and, and all that stuff. And here's what I remember them saying. One of them said, it's not that the idea of baptism, for instance, because they have differing views on baptism. It's not that the idea of baptism is not important. It is important and we do argue for those things. 
And in our conversations with each other, we have uh, great debate about it. And I will tell you that even in the front of 12,000 people, they will take jabs at each other over their views of baptism. It's pretty interesting uh, to see a Presbyterian and a Baptist talk about how much water is actually necessary for baptism. Okay? And they do have these debates, and they do have these discussions because it is important. And I obviously hold to the idea you need a lot of water for baptism. Okay, and so I'm on that side. You need to be, you know, immersed, you know, the whole thing. I mean, I, I can give you the reasons why I believe that, but, uh, but the reality is, is they said what is important, of most importance, is that we are partners together to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ, and do we agree on what is necessary and how are people saved from their sins? If we can agree on that, then we can partner together and try to encourage people to tell others about Jesus Christ. I appreciate that nuance. And I think that you know this is what's happening here is Maybe, in, and I'll get into this next week, but maybe Diotrephes had a small theological difference with some of these traveling missionaries, and he says, nope, we can't help them out at all. And John is saying, no, we need to partner together. The mark of the true Christian is that they will show hospitality. They will have a love for strangers. They will have a love for people that might be a little bit different than them, but there still is the ability to partner because we agree on the core matters of the faith, and that is how a person is saved and who Jesus Christ is and the authority of the Word of God. And so this is gospel partnerships are important because it affirms faithfulness to the gospel message itself. But I want you to look at the text again for a second reason why this is so important to us. And this is found in verse 6, and it says that they testified, these people, these strangers, they testified of Gaius' love back to John before the entire church. It says, you do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Think of the significance of that statement. You would do well, that's a basically way of saying, please do this, and it would behoove you, or it would be best if you sent them in a way, in a manner worthy of God. Think about the depth of that. Think about the nuance of that. So secondly, gospel partnerships are important because they are offerings to God himself. They are offerings to God himself he says it would do well for you to, to, to send them on away because in a manner worthy of God. And the reason why John was saying this is because he knew what the master had taught earlier. You understand, the, the author of this text here had walked with Jesus. He had been there. He was one of the disciples of Jesus. He was one who the Bible refers to as the one whom Jesus loved. He was very close to Jesus. At the Last Supper, Jesus leans back and reclines and leans against John as they were sitting around the table. In our culture today, uh, most guys in our culture today are thinking, oh, what's up with that? That's, that's a little weird. But in that culture, it, 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 there was no sexuality or anything associated with that. It was a sign of endearment. It was a sign of love and partnership. And this was the man that we're, writing, we're reading his writings that Jesus was close to and he walked with. And so when, G, when John writes to Gaius and he says, you do this in a manner worthy of God, no doubt he had the words of the master rolling around in his head. And what was that? That was Matthew chapter 10. I put it on the screen for you. Jesus says this. He says, whoever receives you, receives me. 
And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet and will receive a prophet's, and will, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, receives a righteous person's reward. What, John, excuse me, what Jesus is saying here in this text is he is saying, look, those who assist, those who come alongside and partner the prophet, the prophet that has the gift of speaking and proclaiming the word, and the other people that maybe they feel they don't have that gift, but they come along and they receive that prophet and they encourage that prophet and they try to help meet the needs of the prophet because he's obviously not spending a lot of time working in and, 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 and his own job. And so the way to support him, they say, we're going to part along with him. Jesus himself here says, when, when that prophet gets a reward in heaven, those who partner with him are going to share that because they helped. But it goes more than that. Over in Matthew chapter 25, um, go ahead and turn there. Go ahead and turn to Matthew 25. This is page 831, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there. This is at the end, in the final judgment, Jesus is saying what's going to happen. This is 830, page 831, if you're using a Bible provided for you, Matthew 25. In verse... I'll start in verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. And I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Now look at verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? We don't remember giving you food. When did, um, or give you drink? And, and, and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Say, we don't remember any of this. You're, 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 you're giving us credit for all this and we appreciate that, but we don't remember doing this. Verse 40, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Later on, and we're not going to take time to finish the chapter there, but if you would continue to read through it, he's going to turn to the people on his left hand and say that you did not do these things to me. And they're going to say, well, when were you naked? When were you cold? We didn't do this. And he says, when you didn't do it to the least. He says, when you didn't do it to the, 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 uh, my family, when you didn't do it to my servants, you ignored me. So when John, back in 3 John, is saying, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, no doubt these texts were rolling around in his head because he had heard the master say them. And he said, and he said look, is, if, if you do this to these servants, it's like you're serving God himself. And so gospel partnerships are so important in being invested in each other's lives and helping each other out, and, and those who are uh, in gospel ministry and in trying to help, you know, we have to partner with them. That's why we have a missions program here, okay? 
That's why we, we ask people to partner with certain missionaries. And, and, and honestly, if, and this is always uncomfortable for a pastor to talk about, but this is one of the reasons why it is good for a church to pay their pastor if they're at all able to. I'm able to spend much more time focused on prayer and study the Word of God because of that. And the, those of people who give and make that possible, and, and my wife and I give too to the church, uh, I once had someone be surprised by that. They're like, well, you're paid by the church. Why do you give to the church? I said, well, because it's an act of worship. That's the reason why. But those who give and make that possible, you will share the reward. And it is as if you're serving God himself. Not that I or any of our missionaries are God. We are the furthest thing from it, but we are God's servants. And according to Matthew 25, you will share that reward. And so the second reason was the gospel partnerships are offerings to God himself. And so the reason why we need to look around and we need to say, okay, who can we encourage in gospel ministry? Who is it that is uh, uh, serving Christ and how can I be an encouragement to them? It's as if we're serving the very very person of God himself, because we are. But there's a third reason, and this is found in verse 7. Verse 7, it says, For they, talking about the strangers, have gone out for the sake of the name. These visiting missionaries, they have gone out for the sake of the name. This is the only passing reference to Christ, to Jesus Christ, in this letter. Uh, the name was a way that it was kind of shorthand uh, in the early days of the church of talking about Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other name for this, you know, that passage in Acts. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. The third is gospel partnerships are important because they are crucial. They are crucial. They, um, you have to understand that one of the things that, they, that Gaius was doing was housing these people. You have to understand that the condition of inns during this time, it was not very good at all. The motels that were available, if, uh, and that word wasn't used, but in our vernacular, hotels and, and motels that were available were terrible. In fact, uh, a lot of times they were nothing more than brothels. And it was dangerous. When I was reading about this, uh, my, uh, some of you know one of my favorite stories is Les Mis. I love that story. And uh, there's a scene when Jean Valjean goes to find an orphan girl and care for her. And he travels to uh, get her. And this, this girl is staying um, with this, uh, this couple who are innkeepers. And they are cheats and scoundrels. And they are people who take advantage of everyone. And uh, there's a scene in that movie, if you watch the movie or read the books, of describing and seeing how bad these innkeepers were. That's, that, that's, that's what was pretty typical of first century. And um, so these missionaries, as they're traveling, they needed safe places to stay. It was crucial for them to have partners that would be willing to do that, that would be willing to open their homes they would be willing to say, yes, you can stay with me and you can, you can have what I have and you can eat my food and, and you can drink my drink and, and you, can, you can stay and, and as you go, let me, let me help provide for your needs along the way. It was crucial for them because it just wouldn't have been safe otherwise. There's another reason why it was crucial is because did you notice there in verse 7 it talked about how it said that they take nothing from the Gentiles. 
Now, the reason is, is that the Gentiles wouldn't support him for us. Now, this doesn't mean that uh, it is wrong to accept money from unbelievers to further the gospel work. That's not what the point is, uh, because even when Paul was tent-making, he sold tents to unbelievers, and that money went towards gospel ministry. But the point is, is that we should not expect or demand unbelievers to support the gospel work because it won't make sense to them. It won't make sense to them why people would give their lives to go around and tell people about Jesus. And so they're not going to look for support to these people because it just doesn't make any sense to them and they have no ownership of it. But those of us who are believers in Christ, we understand the significance of this. We understand the significance of the Great Commission and why we need to uh, uh, um, uh, obey that and encourage people to do that. And I also think it's crucial because everyone needs partnerships. Think about the people you know in the Bible, the heroes of the faith. You got you know, let's do this. Okay, I'm going to say a name. I didn't plan this. This I just came to me. So this may be good. It may not be good. We'll see. All right, I'm going to say a name. You tell me a partner that worked with this person in the Bible. Okay, and some may have more than others. Okay, so Moses. Give me another one. Moses and Aaron, Joshua. Did I hear another one? Her. Remember her? Okay. All right. David and Goliath. They weren't partners. Okay. That was a bad partnership. Okay. All right. That's hey, Jonathan. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. David and Goliath. That's a partner that uh, it didn't last. Okay. It didn't last. David became the, the majority owner of that partnership. Okay. But, but good thinking. Okay. All right. Um, uh, here's maybe a, uh, a little bit more difficult one. Barnabas and Okay, Saul, okay, but then after Saul, okay, Silas and John Mark, remember? Okay, yep, okay. The point is, and we can continue going on and on in this, and I didn't say Paul because there are a hundred names, about a hundred names, I didn't take time to count them all, but about a hundred names associated with Paul in the New Testament. 36 different names in the pages of our New Testament could be considered close acquaintances or as even Paul uses the term, fellow workers. See, we all need partnerships. We all need people to come alongside of us, and we need to come alongside of other people and say, for the sake of the name, let's link arms and go forward for Jesus Christ. Everyone needs that. They're crucial. Everyone needs someone to come along and say, you know, we may not be agreed on this, this, and this, but we are agreed on this, and let us go forward for Christ. Let me encourage you with that. And they encourage you. It's crucial for us uh, to have these partnerships. As the saying goes, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, right? There's one more reason I want to share with you in the last couple minutes that I have. And that is this. Gospel partnerships are avenues um, for every believer to work for the truth. Okay? Uh, I know it's a little bit kind of awkwardly worded there, but... Gospel partnerships are avenues for every believer to work for the truth. Now, I get that from verse 8. It says, therefore, we ought to support people like these. That, so there's the purpose, okay? So when you're reading through a text like this, and it says, we need to do this because or that, so, those words should just leap off the page at you when you're reading your Bible. You should see, okay, here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. 
We ought to support people like this. That because so we may be fellow workers for the truth. And so we can be fellow workers as God has commanded us to be for the gospel, for Jesus' service, if we partner with one another. Everyone, and, the, and this is the reason why I think it's so important, is it means that everyone can be involved in gospel ministry. Everyone, if you're a believer in Christ, of course. You can be involved in gospel ministry. It does not matter if you have the ability to speak in front of people or not. Um, you know, I think Jason Schultz does a wonderful job teaching adult discipleship power. And, and uh, he does a good job in front of people. Sunday night at the meeting, I told him this. You know, when the subject of chairs came up and everything, the way he handled that and modeled how to sit in a chair, I mean, that was, I, you know, that was impressive to me. Now, one thing that you probably know about Jason is that he absolutely hates being in front of people. Absolutely hates it, okay? But so when he gets up to teach Sunday school, Understand, and I'm not trying to make him feel awkward or anything like this, but I want you to understand that he is actually working outside his comfort zone. But he's doing it for the sake of the gospel. But you don't have to have to be in front of people. You don't have to have the gift. Jason doesn't think he has gifts to speak in front of people. I would disagree, but he doesn't think so. You don't have to have those abilities. You can just encourage people. You know, send a note to someone like Jason saying, man, I appreciate your Sunday school lesson. That goes so far. It goes so far. Last Sunday night, um, I meant to bring it in with me. Uh, a dear lady in our church gave me a book. And you guys know that's like a, a great gift. Gave me a book. It was by an author that I really like. And then there was a note, and the book was about truth. And she wrote in there, and she just said, thanks, basically I'm paraphrasing, you know, we need to be pointed to the truth. Thanks for what you do. You know, basically she's just trying to encourage me. Yeah, you know, I wrote her a thank you note, and, and I said, words can't express, you know, what that means to me, and it's true. I, I just, I can't, I can't express what that m- note of encouragement said to me. I remember several years ago, I was only here maybe, maybe six, eight months, okay, as pastor here, and I'm, I'm trying to figure things out. I'm, I'm trying to, to find my own way. I'm trying to figure out the church. I'm, I'm trying to remember names at this point, okay? And, and you know, I, I, and there are some discouraging things happening and all this stuff. Our treasurer at the time uh, was Chad. Uh, some of you remember him. I remember opening my paycheck once, and there was a note that he put on the paycheck, and all it said was, you're doing a great job. I mean, it was like, I mean, it was worth more than the paycheck. Now, I still cashed the paycheck, but it was worth more than the paycheck. It really was. Now, I'm not up here saying, hey, please give me encouragement. That's not my point. All I'm trying to say is when you see other people serving Jesus, tell them that you appreciate it. Come alongside. That's a partnership. Everyone can do that. But in Gaius's case here, he was opening his home. And so, you know, as we look at ways that we can be involved in gospel ministry, obviously, you know, finances are probably the most obvious way that we can give money to people. Now, some of you, God has just given the ability to make money. I remember there was a girl in my youth group. Her name was Ashley. And this was several years ago, a different ministry. And, um, you know, Ashley, she just had this amazing ability to earn money. I can't explain it. She was babysitting one time, a couple of little girls in our church, and um, they, uh, 
uh, they were talking about summer camp, and they were hoping they could get enough money. And so Ashley's like, well, we'll get you the money. No problem. We'll do a lemonade stand. And they're like, well, that's a lot of money. We got it. So she puts this table out there, and she puts them out there, and she's got all these different signs and everything, you know, these signs that make you feel guilty if you drive by and all this stuff. And so, you know, she's like just, just you know, I don't know what, what scheme she had, but like in one, one time, like one session of it, like one of the girls had almost all of her money for camp from a lemonade stand. I think they ran out of lemonade at the end. They were serving water, and people were paying for it, you know? I mean, she just has this ability. I remember, you know, we were doing fundraisers for the church, and she could just, she could sell ice to an Eskimo, you know? Just had that ability. Some people just have that knack. Then use that ability to support gospel ministry. Now, some of you don't have that ability. You know, I tried sales for a while. There was a time where I had to become a salesperson. I sold cars I sold used cars for a little while, yeah. I was terrible at it, absolutely terrible at it. Because, you know what I mean, this person's coming to look at the car, and I was like, I don't think they can afford this car. I'm like, you know, maybe we should do a different car. And it was going to kill my commission, kill everything. Like this, But I was like, I just don't think that this is good. I just don't think that you should buy this car and everything. And I was thinking, wait a minute here. I'm doing the exact opposite of what I'm supposed to be doing here. I was terrible at the job. I'm just not good at it. I hate talking about money. Some of you have that ability. Use your ability to God. Some of you have a home that you can use. I appreciate some of you in the church that you, are, you open your home to people. All of us can do that. All of us can use our home to encourage other people. Have people from the church over. These are your partners in ministry. Have them over. I remember that in, in a former ministry, there was two families that, that stick out in my mind. One was an older couple, and every Sunday night they would invite uh, like the senior high all the way up through college age over to the house. And these were, these were, these were older people. Um, retired, and they put up with us, and we, we, we would play uh, games with them in their house. We would stay till, what was it, sweetie, what, one in the morning sometimes? I mean, it was super late, and I remember telling them, like, man, I'm so sorry, you know, usually you're in bed at nine, you know, sorry about this, and everything, and, and I remember Gene's answer. He was just like, hey, I don't got to work tomorrow. I'll sleep till noon. I don't care. <laughs> um, but he was, they were just using their home to serve people that they normally wouldn't have something in common with. And there are so many people to this day that still look back at that couple as a model example. Jeans in heaven with the Lord right now. Another family in the church, I remember, they made it a point to have as many people over as possible. Every Sunday, they had someone over to their house from the church for dinner. When they moved to a ministry, he became a pastor up actually in northern Wisconsin here. We were having a goodbye, and I remember the pastor of our church at the time said, hey, if you've been over the Foster's house, would you stand up? And it was like 98% of the congregation stood up. They'd been in their home. Just to share a meal, they didn't have much. They, they really did not have much. But they gave what they had, and it was just beautiful. They used what they had. Finances, home, any of our, possess, our possessions that we may have. I remember after Hurricane Katrina hit, we were going to go down. I remember two people, individuals, they had lots of tools. They were handyman-type people, and they just gave chainsaws and everything. And they said, I said, well, aren't you, don't you need these? And they said, yeah, we'll make do without it. They need more down there right now. They just gave their chainsaws away. You know, possessions, 
What about prayer? Anyone can pray. Anyone can pray. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12 says, Epaphras always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. This is how we partner together. Maybe you say, I don't have possessions. I don't have a house. I don't have anything. I, I don't have money. I can't, I can't, I, I, I don't know how I can partner. I tell you how you can pray. Pray, pray. We've got things we're praying for. We're praying for 10 people to be saved. We're praying for 10 people to be baptized, 10 people uh, or 10 new people to be added to our church on a regular basis here this year. Every person here can do that. And that's a partnership, struggling on your behalf. A word of encouragement, as I told you before. In closing, let me just read the story. This is from John Phillips, I thought this perfectly summarized what we were trying to talk about here. John Phillips is a commentator who um, grew up uh, around uh, World War I era, okay? He says this, when I was a boy growing up in Britain, my father had a small automobile business. He bought and sold and repaired cars, had a garage, a workshop, a showroom, and some gasoline pumps. He was not a wealthy person, but we lived comfortably. Then came the war. Overnight, his business was practically wiped out. The government commandeered private cars for the military. Spare parts vanished off the market. Gasoline was severely rationed. The only people who could drive cars were those on essential war work. Still, my father struggled on. And the Lord saw to it that he had sufficient customers, farmers and the like, so that we survived. And he was a true gayus. His hospitality was proverbial. One missionary family sat at our table every Sunday for years despite the stringent food rationing. I can think of a number of traveling preachers who headed for my father's workshop whenever they were passing through town. Two of them particularly stand on my mind. Both of them were poor. Both had ramshackle old cars always in need of repair, always nearly out of gas. And both of them always seemed to arrive right at mealtime. Neither of them was sent away empty. My father fixed the cars for them, and out of his small allowance of gas, filled up their tanks. My mother performed miracles, multiplying loaves and fishes so that these preacher friends could go on their way well-fed. In many days, and my dad always left a sizable wad of banknotes in their hands with his parting handshake. Often we had a Spartan meal or two afterwards, but that was my dad. He ought to have been called Gaius. Great is his reward now in heaven, and great is my mother's reward as well. You know, that is a partnership mentality. Anything you have is used for the kingdom. And so for things that you have in your home, things that you possess, are they tools for the gospel work? Are they ways to build a kingdom for our own selves? When your children, are your children going to be like John Phillips and say, you know, my parents may not have had much, but it was used for the kingdom. Or they're going to say, man, my dad loved his boat, or my dad loved his guns, or my dad loved his collections, or my dad loved his cars, or whatever it is. Your neighbors, next generation, what are they going to say about that? So let me close with some application of this. I'm just going to ask you a few questions here. What do you possess that could be used for gospel partnerships? So what is in your possession that could be used for gospel partnerships. Either you give it away, you loan it, you let people borrow it. Whatever it is, think about that. Who could you partner with for the sake of the gospel? Who in this room or part of this church could you say, you know what, I'm going to encourage that person to follow Christ. We all need it. We all need it. 
the connection kindling ideas that we're talking about here, and I forgot to mention it in the announcements, is, is to this week's is look for the person sitting furthest from you and pray for that person. But one of the reasons why we're doing these things is to get people to talk to one another and get people to thinking of other people and partnership ideas. Are you willing to depend on others for the sake of the gospel? Now, this is, I threw this one in there is because some of us like to help people, but we absolutely hate asking for help or receiving help. And there's a reason for that. It's called pride. And we've got to humble ourselves and we've got to accept partnership and accept help at times. Last question, do you see gospel partnerships as serving God or simply doing other people a favor? You say, well, okay, I'll do this for him because I want to be a nice guy or I want to be a nice lady and I'm going to do this for him. Or do you see this as that, no, this is service to God. You see, the first reason will wane over time because you may not like that person. And that's not a strong enough reason. But if we see everything we're doing for gospel partnerships is a means of serving God himself, that will have eternal significance. So let me close with this. It says, in our quest for the kingdom, we need godly friends, gospel partnerships, and should expect opposition along the way. My goal, my charge to us today is let's embrace the need of gospel partnerships and let's use everything and anything we have to foster those partnerships. Let's pray. Father, I do appreciate the time and the attention that we have had today and uh, on this text of scripture. I pray it's been helpful. I pray that we would embrace the need and necessity and, um, and the, the benefits of gospel partnerships. And I pray that we would look how we can partner with other people and encourage one another to serve you. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.